Welcome to Fresh Off the Plane with Hannah Smith. Let's get fresh. I know Erin from teaching in Taiwan, um, and you also came to visit me in Thailand with your husband, and that was a hell of a time, <laughs> but we won't go into that right now. But I wanted to talk to you because <laughs> you've lived abroad in Turkey and Taiwan, and now you're in China. And I think China is a place that people have a lot of misinformation about right now, or they might be interested just to know what it's like to live there as an American or a foreigner. So I wanted to talk to you today. So thank you for coming. <laughs> Definitely. I'm excited to talk about my experiences. <laughs> <laughs> and I think just the first question was what originally made you decide to live and teach abroad? Because when I met you, you'd already been doing that for a bit, but what was kind of the catalyst for you to decide to uproot your life? Yeah, well, I was 22 years old and I had graduated from university with a degree in English and I had just completed student teaching for a semester. So I was substitute teaching and working as a waitress in Washington and living with my parents again. So, oh, yes. <laughs> you know, the best of times. Um, but it was a it was a decent situation considering I had no money. Um, <laughs> But I, <laughs> yes, yes. But I had always been interested in studying abroad and some of my friends had done that in college, but it never seemed to really work out with the, the College of Education classes that I wanted to be taking at Washington State University. And a lot of them were in communications or business uh, field. So they were able to take their classes more easily like in a different country. Uh, so it just didn't happen, but I, I had wanted to teach abroad when I was done with my degree. So mm -hmm. I completed a TEFL, an online like certification. I think you did that too, right, Hannah? Uh, yes, back in the day, actually, it was so long okay. ago that I forgot I even did it. Yeah, I know. I don't really use it anymore, but at the time, mm -hmm. that was what you needed to have in order to teach ESL abroad. So I, I did and- Well, and how did you know that, that was an option though to teach abroad? Because I, I remember I didn't even know that people could do that until I met a guy that had actually done that in South Korea, but I don't know if you knew someone or your college was, was telling you about it. I'm pretty sure I talked to a counselor at Washington State University and I was exploring the idea of studying abroad and this kind of came up and okay. she suggested it because it made sense with you know what I was studying and what I was pursuing and mm -hmm. um, she didn't have all the resources or tools she essentially told me to like look into it but at that time it was like a later down the road kind of thing so while I was doing my student teaching I just started doing research and like finding different platforms to do that certificate Okay. and save money to pay for it and, and they did guide me in terms of helping me find a job I wanted to go to Europe because I feel like Americans have this picturesque idea of like what it's like to live in Europe and I have been to Italy before. <laughs> yeah. And I had never been to Asia. So I had no like nothing connecting me to it. And I, I quite frankly wasn't very interested in it. But European countries, they don't need Americans to come teach English. They can hire people within 
you know, their own countries or nearby countries and the visa process is cheaper for the employer or maybe they don't even need one. So it, it just wasn't going to happen for me. And it kind of led me to Turkey like this. Um, I don't know what you would call them. They were kind of like a counselor. Uh, they helped me figure out that there was a big ESL market in Turkey at the time. And I really didn't know that much about Turkey, but I just went there. <laughs> well, also in Europe. And there's not such high pay as well to teach abroad. You're right. Not, not that was something money. I learned. <laughs> exactly. And I did want to be making some money. So yeah. <laughs> that was a deterrent. Um, but they, they kind of appealed it to me in the sense like it was, it's really near to Greece and it's really near to other European countries that you can travel to, which I did do mm -hmm. while living there. Um, so it kind of just made sense. And that's what led me there. Um, life there was much harder for me than I realized, but as I get older and reflect on it, I was just very young and very naive and had never done that something like that before. And I did, I was by myself. So yeah. a lot of the things that I struggled with, I think people struggle with anywhere as a first time expat, <clears throat> but yeah. I think that almost helps you though. Like when I look back, being young and naive sometimes just helped because I think if I went into those situations now, I'd be like, I'm way too aware of how this is not safe or that I'm in true. a weird situation. And I kind of just threw myself true. into things when I went abroad in like my early twenties. Yeah, I think that's totally right. And yeah, I mean, it taught me so much and it was the first time I'd ever faced so much adversity as an American woman. And I think that is a good experience. Like all people should face adversity and overcome those kinds of challenges. Um, but it definitely helped me have an even better experience and appreciation for Taiwan. And now, uh, now I'm in China, which is arguably a little bit more challenging for expats in terms of a place being a place to live and um, thrive but i think that all those experiences have enabled me to have a great experience in beijing so yeah well, yeah even if it wasn't even if turkey wasn't the most positive at all times especially because it's being a woman there is not the easiest but i right. think that probably made you really appreciate taiwan we both know was very chill as foreigners we weren't really yes. that much to look at compared to some other countries where you get a lot of attention as a foreigner. I don't know if China's right. like that where you get a lot of attention or do you get more ignored as a foreigner? It really depends on where you are. Um, in Beijing, not so much because we actually live in a, a suburb where there are quite a few international schools okay. and we're about 40 minutes from um, Beijing city center. Um, but there are just so many expats in Beijing and you see foreign people everywhere and that enables us to to get on, you know, with less strife and less mm -hmm. attention or questions because people don't care. They're like, you're not exciting. <laughs> Nothing new to them. <laughs> exactly. But like for instance, right now we're in Guilin, in Guangxi province and people are more apt to stare or maybe asked to take a photo or something like that. But it's fine because it's nothing new for me either. It's just um, depends where you are and it depends on how many foreign people in that area. And we have seen some foreign people on vacation here, but not many. So, so exciting. <laughs> 
yeah, so we are something to see, I guess. <laughs> I had the opposite thing, like coming to Taiwan, I was like, why am I not getting more attention? Like coming from Korea where oh. you have blonde hair, like I did, people are just think you're a star and they want to get your yes. autograph and take pictures. And then Taiwan, everyone was like, whatever. <laughs> and that just, yeah, they're so chill. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I love Taiwan because it is so chill. And I remember moving there from Turkey and having, you know, anxiety and apprehensions because Turkey had been challenging. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just like a 180 experience. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> You remember my apartment that was near Cornell and by that pond thingy? Yes. <laughs> yes. So I would go walk outside at night and I would wear athletic clothes and shorts and like no one would even look at me. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> like, I can walk. Is that more like as a woman you felt like you didn't get as much attention like in Turkey or just as a foreigner, you think? I think as a woman. As a woman, I felt safer, so much yeah. safer in Taiwan. Yeah. That could be a whole podcast, but definitely, yeah, for me You're in right. Taiwan, <laughs> I never felt unsafe. Like I actually can't even, that sounds ridiculous, but in two years, I can't even really think of a time I didn't feel safe in Taiwan, but in other countries, and especially when I traveled to Turkey, yeah, I felt uncomfortable. <laughs> so it, yeah. it's nice to be in a place where you don't feel like people are trying to take advantage of you or disrespecting you. <laughs> but, Absolutely. I don't know much about, I've been to China, but I don't know much what it's like to live there. So I'm kind of wondering mm -hmm. what you think the biggest misconceptions about China are that people have that maybe have never traveled there or lived there. Yeah, definitely. I think that's an important topic to talk about. Um, I can't speak for everyone because I really do think Americans have different perceptions of China based on their media sources and what they're reading oh, yeah. and who they're listening to, essentially. Um, but my take on it is that Americans generally think that the, the climate here and like the everyday life is restricted and per perhaps stuffy and tense with a strong police presence or something like that. And it's not like that at all um everyday life is really nice and easy for the most part i mean there are challenges here but i don't know that americans even have an inclination of what those are i'm not sure that they Probably really know not. what what that is okay well even i asked um, uh, i asked daniel because he's never been to china or asia and i was like you know mm -hmm. what would be your questions about china what do you wonder mm -hmm. he was like oh what mm -hmm. were the Hong Kong riots, like, what's the censorship like? Like, it's those news bullet points that that's probably just right. all he sees about China. So that's what he wants. But then I showed him some pictures because you're on vacation right now. And you're like mm -hmm. in beautiful rural areas with these green mountains. And he was like, that's China? <laughs> like, <laughs> I had no idea. Like, people just think of it as bustling cities. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, I think that people... When we told our families we were moving here, they were quite surprised. Um, but I really just, I don't think they understood and maybe still don't understand. So mm -hmm. that can be hard because well, we obviously What are some of their, their fears about it? What are they worried about? I don't know if it's worry or if it was initial kind of like judgment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 
because they can't fathom why we would want to. Okay. Because they wouldn't want to. But as we talk about, you know, our new job, we've worked there for two years now and the type of lifestyle we're able to afford and what daily life is like for us. I think those feelings have subsided. Yeah. And it's more just, they can't believe we've lived away for so long. They want us to come home. So I think yeah, it's a combination of that. Yeah. They well, just want us to come home. It's but. like you said from the news sources of, I know when I lived in South Korea, a lot of people didn't understand because all they heard was like North Korea and why would you right. want to live there? And it's like, well, you don't know all the positives. Like the people are so amazing yeah. and there's this great food and culture, but yes. what are, what are some positives that you could tell people if you were trying to tell someone, Oh, you should come teach in China. Like because they not, they're not going to see that really on the news. Just they're not searching for That's it. True. <laughs> yeah. I think that it's very, things are very accessible here in terms of transportation. Like China has DD, not Uber. They actually bought out Uber in China. So oh, okay. it's, yes. So it's super affordable and easy to get around. There's also, you know, metro systems, um, also private drivers that we use often and it's really cheap. And that's okay. kind of nice because you can connect with them and talk to them using WeChat, which is like, WhatsApp in China, basically, okay. and everyone uses that. Um, it's so easy to do banking and money transfers because WeChat is essentially like how you communicate uh, through message, call, video call, and you can just send or receive money from people and it goes straight into your bank account. And so a little bit your like WeChat, it is, it is kind of like Venmo. Um, but it's all just like this one platform. So you can um, either scan someone's QR code and then you know put in the amount and just pay them, or you can like at vendors or businesses, scan their QR code and then you put in the amount and then pay them. So that's like how we pay our IE, which is like a housekeeper. Um, I mean, you can just afford that things like housekeepers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, absolutely, I do not have a housekeeper here in California. I can barely keep my house clean. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy nice. when, yeah, it's really, really nice. And we don't have children, but so many of our colleagues do have children and they have IEs and they're affordable and amazing. You know, it's, they can be like um, in more of a nanny role where they pick up the child from preschool or I'm not sure, but also help up keep the home and can help prep dinners sometimes it depends on what you need we have a yes and they're so affordable and it's amazing so we have a cat and she has been checking on our cat while we've been gone which is nice because then our pet can stay in her own home and we don't have to take her to a, a, a i don't know what you call that like a pet a hotel or anything yeah. yeah yeah a kennel thing so that's nicer for our cat and it's just easier for us um, but she comes once a week and she just helps with basic cleaning and sometimes she'll help me with little tasks like picking up packages and stuff, but That's it's like so a nice. life I've never lived before. <laughs> yeah. And we can afford it. Well, especially uh, we're at that age where I have a lot of friends having kids now and just getting time off, having the time to take care of their kids, be with their kid, mm -hmm. figuring out who's going to take care of their child when they go back to work, it's actually like a huge stressor in America. And the fact that you yes. can afford someone to help you 
that's amazing. And people probably don't think I know oh, it was, China, my life would be easier. <laughs> I know, I agree with you, but I'll speak a little bit more about that because it is quite amazing. So like, I have a friend who's pregnant now. I have some other friends who have one or two children and it enables them to do so much more and to not you know, have to worry about going back to work after their maternity leave. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's a reason for some people to stay longer um, because their, ch their child can also grow up learning Chinese through the IE and the care yeah. they provide. And our school, I mean, this is kind of education specific and I know not all expats come to China to be teachers. There are a lot of different things you can do, but our school provides free education for the children of the, the staff. So the child can grow up uh, having a free international education and be bilingual. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. That's actually amazing. If, if you speak Chinese here, there's so many more job opportunities. And I know from teaching abroad, like the international schools, it's way above what we do in public schools, to be honest, because I've taught in them all. And that's a right. great education for those kids for free. Absolutely. So that's a reason why like, our staff cohorts, I guess you'd say, like the return rate is not very high. People stay for years. Some of them have their kids, you know, maybe come in middle school and then graduate from high school or something like that. Everyone has a different story and, you know, they're different age children, but definitely an appeal for families. Mm -hmm. Well, and I wonder, because I know as a foreigner, you get a lot more freedoms than perhaps the locals. Do you have any colleagues that have talked about like censorship of China or feeling as though they might not have the freedom to listen to certain things or you not hear about that at all? Because that's really what we're fed a lot here about China. Mm -hmm. You know, we do have to go a bit above and beyond to get the, to get have access to certain websites and sources, but it's not difficult. It's part of our everyday lives and it's, it just fits right into your life. So mm -hmm. we have to use VPNs and we have to pay for them by ourselves. Um, and sometimes depending on where you are, the internet isn't always amazing. And that's something that it's just how it is in China. In Beijing, it's good. Um, when we were quarantining in random hotels it was not always good so that was hard yeah so it, it can it can be interesting but our school they have like a vpn for the entire school building oh, so while we're there we don't have to yeah it's awesome so we don't have to worry about anything in terms of teaching materials accessing youtube videos accessing you know different news sources and media and whatever that can supplement our teaching uh, so that's that's a big draw for you know, working at an international school mm -hmm. who can support you with that. And our school is a boarding school, so a lot of the staff live there, and okay. they get to enjoy that all that's the time. Nice. We yeah, it is nice. We live right across the road, and that grants uh, some other freedoms, like we don't have to do as many evening duty things. Uh -huh. um, and we get to have a cat. So that's, <laughs> we had to live off. You can't have pets on campus. Um, so that's something that we, it's an extra step, I guess, but mm -hmm. you get used to it. Like you get used to anything when you live somewhere different from your home or where you've what? been previously. Like we, well, I only know a little bit about VPNs, but I'm wondering, I had to use it in Vietnam, I believe. 
But if you're someone that doesn't have a lot of money in China, are you able to use VPNs then? I don't know how, is it something only if you're in higher education or if you have more money or are they accessible to everyone? I don't know a lot about them. They are accessible to everyone. It's essentially like you can pay for a month subscription or a year long subscription and it's an app. And then you just have to pay again, like when it expires. Um, but there are different ones and some are better than others in different regions or sometimes some update faster depending on, I don't know, the app developers, I guess. So it's kind of like something you talk to other people about and you stay current with it. And we just, it, it just kind of streamlines into our life though. It, it, it did take some getting used to, but now mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter. I've, so other people, though, I mean, even for Chinese people, a lot of them have it. And like a lot of our students do have one. So for instance, if I'm giving like a homework assignment and it, it included a YouTube video, some of the kids are like, oh, Mrs. McGuire, I can watch that at home, no problem. But like a lot of them are like, I can't, I don't have access to that. So we have to put our content on um, Microsoft streams so that they can watch it. So it's like, you just have to upload okay. it to that platform for the students. Um, but the kids are so smart. They have so many workarounds and websites. Oh, they know they can find <laughs> movies on. They're they're better than the teachers, honestly. Yeah. Um, but I, I know people. Environment who, especially, I'm sure they have to find ways to get into restricted stuff, and they figure it out. <laughs> yeah, they figure it out. Yeah, they're more savvy than the adults. That's for sure. Um, but I, I know people who have any kind of international, you know something in their jobs with their jobs or if they need to talk to family or friends outside of china then they all are using mm -hmm. that as well okay well and i wonder yeah. well, if they're able to be getting that international news and they probably have seen the us's response to covid and i know here i had some friends of asian descent who were really dealing with racism here because of it being called the china virus and people putting covid on them and i'm wondering if in china Chinese people knew about that or what their thoughts were about how the U.S. was reacting to this? Yes, they definitely knew about that. And from my perspective, the general vibe is that they just think Donald Trump is an absolute joke and they don't take him seriously. So I didn't ever talk to anyone who was like angry or hurt or something like that. Um, but surprised or kind of like, what's this guy's deal? <laughs> what's okay. he doing? So I didn't take him too Kind seriously. of like that. Not from what I saw. I mean, I'm sure mm -hmm. that some people did. Um, yeah. But we, we were also in Taiwan stuck last year trying to get back to Beijing. So the people I communicated with, it was done, you know, via Teams or Zoom. So okay. there, there was definitely a, a whole climate and like a, you know, struggle happening in China that we were not actually physically there for. So maybe I can't speak to it more than that, but I don't think people were, I just think they think it's crazy. Like they're like, what's going on in the US? <laughs> well, I'm glad they didn't take it seriously as some people did here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they do know about, uh, you know, the hate crimes and like the, the tension. And I know that some students in high school Mm -hmm. were expressing to their dorm heads or dorm parents that they're worried about going to university in the U.S. because of okay. those situations. So it's on their minds. It, they're aware of it. And it's sad. 
That's definitely um, sad that you think maybe I shouldn't go to this country because someone might hurt me. So I say I'm from China. Right. right. Yeah. It's horrible. I can't believe that was even happening. Some some of it seems a little surreal to me, to be honest, because mm -hmm. at this point I haven't been able to be back in the U.S. in quite a long time. And yeah. all of this unfolded for me, you know, while in Asia. So I was looking mm -hmm. at it through a different lens myself. And some of it was just so hard to believe. It is surreal. And I see it on the news. I'm like, I can't believe that. But then I think how in a small town where I was teaching my coworker, uh, she's Asian and her son works at a grocery store and he's Asian. Mm -hmm. And this white guy asked for a different bagger at the grocery store. He was like, I don't want that guy because he's Asian. I was just shocked. <laughs> wow. That was in California? Yeah, small town California. So I'm like, it's, well, if it's happening here, then it's definitely happening in San Francisco and all those other places. So yeah, I have, luckily I haven't seen it happening, but been hearing about it. But hopefully, I, mean, I think really at least, I think now there's definitely less of that misinformation. It's kind of like after 9-11 where there was a lot of racism towards right. Muslims, but right. it's not an excuse for it. It's just at least I think dying down. But you, right. you talked a little bit about how you were in Taiwan um, during COVID. Mm -hmm. If you want to explain how you weren't in China during COVID and what happened there. Yeah, definitely. So this, ha so COVID first, I don't know. Seems so long ago now. <laughs> you know, like five yeah, years ago, COVID started. <laughs> Feels like that. I know. Um, <laughs> like so two years was, or something. It was January 2020, I think. I remember I just turned 30. And, oh, yay! Uh, <laughs> I know. And we already had plans to go to the Philippines for our Chinese New Year. And actually, we met Mark and Angel, our friends. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, so we went to the Philippines. And while we were there, we got an email from our doctor. Like, we have an, an MD on campus because they work in the health center with because it's a dorm they, they need a doctor on campus so the we had been hearing things about covid but we had no idea what it meant we were like huh mm -hmm. okay um just small tidbits of news and we knew that it was you know identified as coming from wuhan but never been to wuhan it's pretty far away from beijing i really didn't know what to think about that mm -hmm. and so the md emailed the staff saying something specifically about thailand because apparently a lot of people from wuhan uh it's a huge city i don't remember the population mm -hmm. but they traveled to thailand for a chinese new year holiday so oh. the it was being you know tested positive there or, or something like that and that's what he was updating us with so the email was really strange and confusing and it was kind of just like if you're coming back from thailand because a lot of our faculty were something like be careful and we're like what does this mean oh, <laughs> What, how oh, we, yeah, a lot of confusion <laughs> so, in the beginning. Yeah, and it didn't make sense and not to the doctor either, but you know, no one knew about it really yet. So Macklin and I did have a conversation. We were like, should we go back to Beijing? Like, do you think China is going to be safe from this virus? But we didn't want to get stuck there in yeah. the Philippines. So we did go back. And it was very bizarre what happened after that point. Like a lot of our colleagues who had traveled to different countries or to their home country for Chinese New Year just didn't come back because they were scared. 
and they stayed where they were. Yeah. But uh, then other people like us who came back, or maybe they didn't leave because some families stayed there for the Chinese holiday, uh, were thinking, should we leave? And we stayed for about 10 days, and it was very interesting. Every day, things became more restricted. Later on, like I can reflect on that and see that was within reason, but at the time it was so unknown and it wasn't happening anywhere else in the world at that point. So we were scared. So, you know, uh, things were closing. Like the first thing was our school said, okay, we're closing the gym and the pool. And we were like, what are we going to do? That's what we do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Get a little inconvenient at first, but now you're like, oh, okay, yes. that wasn't even a huge deal. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, stores were closing. There were more um, police officers around compound entrances and they're checking IDs and things when you would come and go. We were just so unsure about what this meant. So we decided to go to Bangkok for a little while. And at the time, our head of school was really supportive. He was like, that's a good idea. You know, we don't know what's going on exactly, but we knew that we were going to be teaching online and we were all like, what does that mean? We've never done that before. So uh, a lot of people went somewhere else for a little while, but while we were in Bangkok, it was just, you know, daily updates and it was really unsettling because no one knew what it meant still. Um, But it was just now COVID's in this country, now COVID's in this country. And it was actually in Thailand where we were. (laughs) Well, had you chosen, were you already going on a vacation to Thailand or you're just like, let's go to Thailand to get out of China for a bit. It was kind of just to get out for a bit. And Macklin finished his master's there. So he had lived there for a month, a year prior. And we know Bangkok pretty well and it's affordable. So we were looking at Airbnb monthly prices and we were like, this is cheap. And there's a pool and a gym right there. You can teach online and just like enjoy some cheap, enjoyable costs of living and lifestyle for a little while and we did have plans then to go to Taiwan for spring break so after a month it was really a hard decision and I think in hindsight we do wish we had just gone back to Beijing to be honest with you because things just got so complicated Um, but a lot of our colleagues weren't going back and we were all still pretty uncomfortable because we didn't know no one had the answers we had no idea we how long term all of this was going to be. We had no idea. Exactly. No idea. So that must have been March, like early March. That's or when something it was like that. Here when it was getting pretty bad. Yep. Yeah. And I remember talking to family and they didn't know how to advise us, but they were saying, like, yeah, things are happening here. And we're like, okay, I don't know what it all means. So anyway, we went to Taiwan. And we were thinking that would be great because we used to live there. We know it so well. Mm -hmm. Um, And in a lot of ways, that was nice. But we we were there for, I think, three weeks. And then China closed their borders for all foreigners, even if you had an active work visa. That's a big move as well. That's a very big move. Yes. And that was a devastating day because we were like, what does this mean? And it was so unsettling. I have never been so anxious and it was really hard. I became really depressed because it was just too much to process and working online was still quite demanding. Yeah, it's not a good time. It was not a good time. And people there who we, you know, we knew from the past, some of them were really understanding and supportive, but some of them were not because Taiwan 
but luckily for Taiwan, it has stayed quite safe and controlled throughout the entire pandemic at that point. Mm -hmm. I think we yeah. had some, some issues lately, but it was really hard for people to understand what we were going through and why that was in fact such a stressful time. Mm -hmm. And I think for us, it just felt so upsetting because one, our cat was in Beijing and I yeah. really missed her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I felt terrible about that because yeah. we ended up being away for about six months. And we had just settled in six into months. I didn't even realize it was that long. <laughs> yeah, it was six months. But we had just settled into a new life there. We were just starting to make friends. I had just gotten like a new position at work. And I was just, mm -hmm. it just felt so wrong to be ripped out of that. I mean, it was our choice. Yeah. We made the choice to go, but we had no idea it would become that, no. that amount of time. Well, I don't think people realize that, that you had chosen that to be your home. So it's like, if I got, if I left California to go somewhere and then they were like, oh, sorry, you can't come back for six months. I'd be like, and yeah. my dog was here. Oh my gosh. I'd be like, I know. you it's let upsetting. me in right now. <laughs> my dog yeah. is there. <laughs> I know it's, it really sucked. And some families were separated because of that situation. And mm -hmm. gosh, some of the stories that we have come to know through colleagues and, and friends, it, it was a very traumatic time. Um, but I feel grateful for the staff that we have at our current job because everyone was very supportive, very helpful, and the school did everything within their power to get us back. And they helped financially and they helped with telling us what to do and guiding us. And they, they hired a government relations person to help us with all of that. So yeah, they really went above and beyond to get us back. So I'm grateful for that. But what it took to get back was kind of crazy there there is not a now i'm not going to remember what it's called there's not a chinese embassy in taiwan okay mm, but they're, they're <laughs> yeah it's complicated so there's not a chinese embassy in taiwan but there is one in hong kong and basically to get back we had to be issued these special letters from the government inviting us back saying like we know you're employed you can come back but it took months and we didn't all get them at once. It was mm -hmm. drawn out across maybe three months. And there were like different, um, I don't remember what they were calling them, different cycles, different periods. And you would okay. just wait and see if your name was on a list. Sometimes wow. couples were split up on different oh. lists. <laughs> Sometimes families dependents were, were not on the list. And it's like, what do you expect the kids to do? Come back two months later by themselves? <laughs> yeah, so that's interesting. It was crazy. Like the parents can come over, but the kids have to come later. Okay. <laughs> it was very confusing. Um, but that when that happened, it essentially just prolonged the getting back process for those adults. They would just, mm -hmm. they would just wait for their children. Um, anyway, we, we were given our letter fairly early and in comparison to the other people um, but we had to fly to Hong Kong quarantine for two weeks in a tiny tiny room <laughs> together yeah, oh, right. yeah so that was quarantining <laughs> good test of the relationship <laughs> absolutely so then we once the two weeks had passed and we did all the testing we needed to do I think we had at that point done like eight COVID tests <laughs> I know. Then we had to go to the, the Chinese um, embassy there and process our letter. And that took another two weeks. And then at that point, we were able to fly to Beijing and quarantine for two more weeks. <laughs> I think all of this really shows, though, that 
how much you enjoy it working in China and how much you've enjoyed your experience there. Because yes. honestly, if you didn't, I, if I didn't enjoy it, I would have given up way back after like a month. I'd be like, I'm going home. <laughs> Did that cross your mind oh, no. or was it kind of, you know, we've committed to being in China. We don't want to go home at this time. Yeah, we didn't even talk about it. We, we just worked on getting there. Um, some, I mean, actually the majority of our colleagues and friends, like everyone did go back. There were a couple situations where it was just so beyond complicated for the family and their dependents mm -hmm. to get back. And it was perhaps already the end of like a two year contract period for them. So yeah. they, they, they are not coming back, um, for this next school year. They were basically online this entire year from some other place. So that was horrible for them. But mostly everyone came back and that does say a lot about the job i think it's a good place to be <laughs> oh yeah because i feel like a lot of schools that i've worked at wouldn't have even tried that hard to get me back they would have been like well that's how it is bye we're gonna hire a new teacher yeah yeah and that did happen a lot <clears throat> and it actually did happen at other schools in china so i really think it depends on your employer but yeah. I know that there were sad stories and and even in other Asian countries where it's like, hey, if you can't get here, then you don't have a job anymore. Yeah. But and in the, I mean, really a lot of the Asian countries, you have so many foreigners that are willing to come teach because of what a great lifestyle it gives you. So I can see why right. they, well, we'll get someone else that's yeah over here. Totally. I, I think people did what they needed to do. And with the amount of money they could give to people to come back because it was expensive um yeah yeah so that was basically the experience it was crazy but upon getting back it was so nice to be with people who had also gone through that and we mm -hmm. we all just, support, just supported and yes it's been an amazing support system and i think that has made all the difference honestly and it must make you appreciate just your whole situation there and the people you work with that you all had to work hard to be there. You want to be there. You're loving where you're working and living. Yeah. That's gotta be a, a so that's really bond. positive for sure. So I think living abroad, yeah. you, everybody knows they have options to be elsewhere like at all times. It's like, Oh, I could go here in Asia. I could go here. I could go to Europe. Yeah. Like if people are trying hard to be somewhere, that's a big deal. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I know I've asked you a bit about this in the past, but do you have plans at some point to come back to the US or um, are you thinking you wanna be in Asia a bit longer? And when you do come back to the US, is it something you're excited about or you're a little more nervous about it? Yeah, we, we entertain, <clears throat> sorry, the idea of, you know, saving enough money while working here to buy a house or an apartment in the US. Mm -hmm. But we don't know where because I'm from Washington and Athens from Illinois. So it's something that to us is in the distant future, but it's on our radar, I guess you could say. But to be honest, I have a lot of apprehension about coming back because I'm not interested in working in the public education system in the US. It's nothing like what I've been doing now for essentially my entire adult life. Uh, and I really don't think I would enjoy it. I think I would struggle with that yeah. uh, change. And I know there are, well, we're currently working at an IB school 
and getting to know that framework and that type of teaching and I, I quite enjoy it. So I know that there are IB schools in the US and there are private schools and there are boarding schools. So that could be an option. Yeah. Um, but that's essentially as far as we've thought and, and discussed. We don't really have a timeline or an answer, although our parents would really like us to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like anytime. But that's kind of where we're at with that. Oh yeah, I yeah. know I'm still getting used to teaching in the US and after this mm -hmm. year of teaching online and a lot of people in public schools, their unions just not doing it for them and we're having a teacher right. shortage now because a lot of people wanted to leave and I was very close to leaving as you know. So right, right, right. It's a, it's a tough gig here and it is hard when you're used it to the is. good life because teaching abroad really is, you have your struggles and your stress, which we did teaching in Taiwan, but it was the good life right. compared to here. Yes, so. definitely. So I'm not sure, like, and it's interesting because this is something that comes up among you know, other expat friends all the time and colleagues. And a lot of people say that they will do a totally different job when they go back to the US because they mm -hmm. don't want to work in the public education system. And one of my close friends here, she's doing a master's now in a different subject so that she yeah. can do more, more like a community planning and, and um, social work type of work in the US because she knows, okay, I, I want to go back there at one point to, you know, live near my mom who's getting older. So I don't know, they, these things come up all the time. And I, of course, do want to see my family more often, especially after this. We haven't been yeah. home in so long, uh, but really not ready to part with this life. It's so mm -hmm. enjoyable. <laughs> Yeah, there are a lot of nice things about living in Asia that I miss. Um, I mean, and now I've really acclimated to being in America. There, there's things that are easier, but then I also, I think just about random things like, I don't walk enough here, or there's things that right. I'm not so used to in Asia, or there's not, life isn't as much of an adventure. So I just, I know right. living here, I grew up here. So I, we actually do want For to go sure. next summer because I miss it so much. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I, you're right. Like there are pros and cons to both. And sometimes I long for some ease of, you know, being an American in America. And it, it's silly stuff like getting the type of food brands I want and being yeah. able to, you know, buy jeans that actually fit my body type or something like that. Yes. Always <laughs> feeling obese. Are, <laughs> yes, yes. But there are always ways to make it work. And that's something that has been actually easier in Beijing because there are so many expats here. I find that there are more connections and more people with their own, not stores, but like vendors who you can contact to like get bras yes. that fit you or something like that. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I remember I had someone I would get hummus from or there's just all these people yes. that get little businesses going for things that foreigners want. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh. So well, I think we're definitely more savvy with that now and we know how to make our life more, I guess you could say comfortable or finding these like comforts of home. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't miss it as much as I did like when I lived in Turkey or even Taiwan at the beginning because I think you just, yeah. you, you find ways. Um, but sometimes I miss just communication that's a bit easier, but at the same time, I'm so used to it now. When I do go to the US, it's a reverse culture shock 
with yes. everyone around me speaking English and it feels really overwhelming. Oh yeah. So, I'll tell you right now, I don't always want to know what people are saying. I'm like, sometimes I wish I did not have to hear you right now. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> like I liked more for when sure. you guys could all just talk in the office. I didn't know what you were saying. <laughs> yeah. I feel you. <laughs> well, whenever you do come back, or even if you don't, I'll be seeing you either as I come to Asia or if you come here. And I'm yes. glad that I got That'd to be talk. awesome if you could come to Asia. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah, this has been good. <laughs> Thank you for talking to me in your bathroom while your husband, Mac, no problem. Is like, what is going on? <laughs> well, fine. thank you very much. <laughs> yes, of course. This is great.